Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, welcome to Flourishing in Isolation, our Bible study series helping us learn how we can make the most of the opportunities we find ourselves in at this time. How are you doing? Uh, I appreciate these are tough times that we are living in. Uh, Many people, I'm hearing stories of people who are struggling in in their home in isolation or not able to get to loved ones or family or friends. Um, But hopefully you're finding this teaching useful to you at this moment. Do get hold of your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians uh, at this moment in time. And just give a quick summary. Obviously, you can go back. This is the third one in the series of Flourishing in Isolation. Um, If you want to, you can go back to the first two, give you a bit of context. The first one, we talk about the prison letters that Paul wrote. And then last week, we gave some context to the first century uh, uh, city of Ephesus, where this particular circular is being written to. So you've got here Paul, who is under house arrest, Uh, Paul, who was desperate to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He wanted to go. Rome was the the centre of the universe. It was the epicentre of the Roman Empire. And he wanted to go there, preach the gospel, because he really thought, if I go to Rome and get the gospel message, the the story of Jesus told, then thousands of people will turn to faith and follow the way. Unfortunately for Paul anyway, not for us, for Paul, it didn't work out that way. He ended up being arrested taking to Rome and he was put under house arrest with a new guard every eight hours. He wasn't allowed out for two and a half years. Two and a half years. It was on his bucket list to go to Rome. He went to Rome but not in the way he thought. But here's the thing, his writings that he wrote under house arrest, um, in the two and a half years he was there, those writings have been used and been read and been studied for hundreds and hundreds of years and generation to generation and we're all better off because Paul ended up uh, in isolation but he chose to flourish, he chose to be different. So we have these four books which are called the prison letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon and um, I would love you just to kind of let me know how you're thinking this is going for you, get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks to those who got in touch last week. I did have someone say to me, can you not speak so fast? Uh, Something I've been trying to overcome for many years but I'm also trying to keep these down to 30 minutes each week so it doesn't become too long and we're trying to cram a huge amount in in a short space of time so maybe if you're watching on repeat you can run it slow on your podcast or extra fast if you want to skip some stuff Um, and then someone else also pointed out to me that you said about not using electronic bible using a real bible so we don't get distracted and that's a really good principle I've found and then I proceeded to use my uh, laptop here with my notes on it. It's a true, I am trying to do two things at once, use an actual uh, piece of scripture here, the book of Ephesians, but I'm also trying to uh, stop every few moments and to pull a point out from some of these great verses that we're going to read today. This is some great stuff. Ephesians is a rich book and I encourage you to read it through and then read it through again slowly and more slow than I speak. So you ready? Okay, we're good to go. Let's have a look at Ephesians. We we covered Ephesians 1 last week, almost. We didn't quite get to the end of the chapter. We tried, uh, but we talked about reminding ourselves that we are loved, chosen, and faultless. That was one thing we learned, that even though we're in isolation, that God says we are loved, we are chosen, and we are faultless. That number two, that God has a plan for our lives, and that plan involves heaven and earth. We talked, remember, about heaven and earth being together. It's not earth now, heaven future. Uh, Jesus said, "My, you know, I, I want to pray." He said, "Would it come on earth as as it is in heaven, as it is right now in the present tense? Heaven and earth 
together. And then thirdly, we talked about we might be in lockdown, but we're free in the spirit of God. We're free in the spirit of God. And the spirit is our hallmark. It's our stamp of authority. It's our identity that God is with us. So there's some of the things we learned last week. And you can go back and listen to that at your own leisure. So we're going to jump into Ephesians 1 and verse 15. And this is Paul there speaking to all these church communities, these like new uh, mini churches that were gathering in a place called Ephesus. And he was writing these words, some real encouraging words. He says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Paul is in prison, but he's still uh, hearing about the work that's going on in the church in Ephesus. He's got his ear to the ground. He may not be able to get out from his home arrest, but he's able to have visitors. And he is hearing the stories of what's going on in the, the new baby church in Ephesus. And he's saying, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm loving what I'm hearing. And he's just moaning about his circumstances. He said, I'm praying for you constantly. I'm supporting you. I'm celebrating you. I'm, I'm for you. I'm rejoicing in what I hear about what you're doing. And just a few days ago, I, I spent some time looking uh, online at all the various churches I'm connected with around the UK and other countries and seeing what they're doing online in this season of isolation. And I was blown away by some of the activity of churches, what they're doing, how they're helping feed the homeless, how they're running food banks across the UK, how they're serving people in need and, and, and opening up um, ways of serving those who haven't got school lunches because schools are out and how they're helping families at this time where people are isolating, they're making phone calls to ring them, to keep them uh, together in community. I'm loving what I'm seeing all around the UK and beyond all the different activities. It's amazing. I'm celebrating what I am seeing. I'm rejoicing in what I am seeing. I, I think it's so important that we should celebrate one another. The church is alive and well at this time. It is expressing the love of God. And there's Paul in prison, but he's saying, I'm praying for you. I'm celebrating you. I'm rejoicing for you. I'm praying that God's knowledge and wisdom will be all over you. That's his story. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for uh, all the churches that we know and love, that God's uh, glory would be at work, that we would pray that this strong faith you got uh, would, would continue, that you'd grow in wisdom, you'd grow in knowledge at this time. I love the fact that Paul's restricted, but he is so generous with his words. He carries on in verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I love that phrase, glorious hope, confident hope. It's hope, but it's certain. It's not just hope that maybe it'll happen, what if, possibly. This is with confidence, with confident hope. It's almost an oxymoron. How do you have those two words side by side when your hope is in Jesus Christ? You can have confident hope. Not dreaming of what might be, uh, but hoping what it might be coming. We know how the story ends. We know what's going to happen. We can have a confident hope that Jesus will return. It gives an ability to be bold. Even though our present reality, it does not line up, we can have a confident hope in the future and what God is going to do for us. And then he goes on and says, we are God's 
inheritance. We are rich and glorious. And I remember when I was a lot younger, my, my grand died and, and she left me an inheritance. And she left me, a, it was a book, it was one of her favourite books and she wrote a little note in the front of the book. And I was only a teenager at the time and I wasn't particularly impressed with receiving a book. It didn't feel like a glorious inheritance. You know, I was hoping she might have given me some money or something I could do something with. With, But I love that with hindsight, I love the fact she took time to consider me and to take time to write a note in the front of this book. But when God sees us, he sees us as his glorious inheritance, not just an okay thing, not just a that will do, I suppose I have to. He is celebrating us and go, when I see the church, the glorious bride of Christ, he says, wow, you are my glorious inheritance. You are what I get to earn out of all I've gone through and it's worth it. Paul is saying we are glorious to God. What a lovely statement. I also pray, verse 19, Paul is saying, I will also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God is great. We've got to understand the greatness of God, the vastness of God. God is beyond our imagination. He is huge. He is beyond our galaxy, beyond our universe. God is massive. And yet sometimes we try and reduce God down to our understanding of God. And Paul is writing there and he's saying, you need to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. That's really important. We don't understand the greatness of God. He also encourages us there to, to talk about the authority, that God's authority is greater than the world's authority. But I want to see people that pray for those in authority. 1 Timothy 2 reminds us, pray for those who are over us, who carry authority over us. We've got to be praying for our prime minister of our nation, Boris Johnson, to be praying for our queen who gave her her word to the nation just a few days ago. We want to pray for those in authority over us. We pray for their health, for their well-being. We pray for wisdom. We pray that they would know the peace of God in their life at this time. We, We trust an extravagant, great God. And we want to use that knowledge to pray for those in authority. And we need to understand that God is greater than those in authority over us. That any world leader right now, their knowledge, their understanding, their metrics, their information, none of that is is significant compared to the greatness of God himself. And we want to be people that celebrate who God is, but still choosing to pray for those who lead over us. God is higher than any authority. We must choose to trust him. So verse 22, Paul says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Not some things, all things. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Christ is the head of the body. I mentioned earlier the church is doing great. There's some great things out there the church are up to and they're doing lots of things well but we've got to remember we're just the body. We're just the body of Christ and we need Jesus the head of the body to make who we are full. When we come under the authority of Jesus Christ then we we encapsulate the, the same power that Jesus has because we're coming under the same authority. 
And so as church, yes, it's important. We do good things. We help other people. We go out of our way to serve those in need. It's great, but we're not called to be a club. We're called to signpost people to Jesus. And now is a great time to do that. Now is a great time to point people to that. I I was chatting to a friend of mine who leads a church just down the road from here. And uh, he was saying on Sunday at their online services, they've been running them like us only for a few weeks. And he thought he'd invite some non-Christian friends who'd never been to church before, people he'd been praying for for years. And he invited four of them to come along just half an hour before the service started online. And all four of them turned up, showed up and commented to him about the activity they got to participate in. And I thought, wow, we are living in a time where the church has never been so accessible. I mean, it's great. Anyone can come along to these online church services. And if they don't like it, they can leave straight away. If they don't enjoy what they're watching, they can press the mute button. They can fast forward. They can do whatever they want to do. They can leave the building and no one's going on the door to stop them getting out. And so um, you can... Invite your friends to church. It's so accessible. In a world where so many people are anxious about the future, uncertain about what a hope there is for them, there's a chance to invite your friends to come to an online church. It offers something no other organisation does. It offers faith and we can share that faith by sharing the opportunities for people to come and to visit. They may be in a season of uncertainty and isolation, but we can point them to the head of the church, Jesus Christ himself. And we must make sure as churches we come under his authority. How are you all doing? Hope you're doing okay. Uh, We just hit the end of the first chapter of Ephesians. You see what I mean? There's a lot of stuff in here for us to get through. If it's okay, you're going to crack on, but do send in your questions. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Do message me or do put stuff in the comments there, things that will be helpful to others, and that would be great. So we'll carry on uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 about being made alive in Christ. Remember, this isn't isn't in chapters originally. It was just a circular. It was like a a message to churches. It had been read out in their meetings in the place of Ephesus some 2,000 years ago. So if we start on verse 1 from chapter 2, It says these words. Once you were dead because of your obedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the command of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And Paul is saying there, we all used to be like that. We all used to follow our own desires. We used to be that sort of person. We used to live in sin. We used to be dead. We used to live that way. And he's saying we used to succumb, but we don't have to anymore. Everything has changed. We can live differently. It's a reminder of our previous state. I often say it's useful every now and then to look in the rear view mirror. But if all you ever do is look in the rear view mirror, you will have an accident because we're not going that way. It's good to look back and remind ourselves of where we have come from. When you're frustrated with your circumstances, look back and go, that's where I used to be. Here is where I am now. I am moving forward. I am progressing. It doesn't feel like it all the time. And Paul is saying to us here, he's saying, remember where you used to come from. And how much has changed. There's a lovely illustration by an artist called Charlie Mackesy of a small boy sitting on a horse. And the the little boy is tired and he's saying to the horse, he says, how much further till we get there? And the wise old whore says to him, look how far we have come. 
And sometimes when we're exhausted with our circumstances, we need to look back and remind ourselves of how far we have come. And then in verse four, we have these two beautiful words where it just says, but God. We've all sinned, we've all messed up, we've all done things wrong, we've got things wrong in the past, but God. But God, because of God, everything changes. We're all dead, we're a mess, but God carries on verse four. He's so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when we raised Christ, when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the head dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples. That's right, he can point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. We are united with Christ Jesus, this God of mercy, who is rich in mercy. Mercy is not being given what you deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve consequences for the sin and the mistakes we've made. But God is rich in mercy and says, I'm not going to give you what, you've, what you deserve. Instead, he says, come and sit by me. Come and be seated next to me. He's not just saying it's okay that you've made mistakes and done things wrong. He's saying, come and be part of of this with me. Seated means being in the rest of God. You know, when Jesus sits down at the right hand of God the Father, he's taking a rest. Why is he taking a rest? Because his job is done. And he's, some, he's saying to us, come and take a seat. Come and rest. I'll ask you the question today, have you entered the rest of God? Are you at home in isolation? Are you in a different season of life, but you're still exhausted because you're trying to do things in your own strength? Are you trusting God implicitly or are you leaning into him? Are you working in your own efforts, which results in frustration? Or are you taking a seat next to Jesus? I encourage you to take some rest, to take a seat, to be with God at this moment. Then carrying on in verse eight, it says these words, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We can't take any credit. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Exact opposite of mercy. Grace is, is getting something we don't deserve. We don't deserve to have eternal life, to be seated at God's right hand. We don't deserve to be with him forever, but because of his extreme generosity, his grace, because of his unmerited favour, his extravagance, we get to be with God. And it gets better, people. It gets a lot better. He goes into verse 10, such a stunning verse, one of the key verses of chapter 2. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Yes, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. And here's what's going on there. That word masterpiece, um, the, the Greek word there is actually, and we're like God's poem or we are God's artwork. He has formed us, created us. He thinks we are beautiful. We are a masterpiece. But, but here's the thing, and, and we're not like a poor version of the real thing, not like a pretend version. We are unique, we are exquisite, we are beautiful, we are loved 
We are God's masterpiece. And some of you need to read that verse again and declare it and put it in the comment section below and say, we are God's masterpiece. That's who we are. But it's, but it's more than that. It's more than that. What he's saying is, because you are my poem, you are my piece of art, I would like you to do the good things that you have. he's planned for us. And what he's saying is, I've made you creative. I've created you beautiful. And I want you to create beautiful things as well. As I've made you a masterpiece, can you make some masterpieces? As, as, as I've written you like a beautiful poem, can you write a poem? Could you create music? Could you create prose? Could you uh, put things together that are unique to who you are? What do you do with what God has given you? Our work is not to do tasks, but to be creative, to create, to flourish, to bring about something which is better because we are in this earth. The reason we can flourish in isolation is not because we are isolated, but because we are in Christ. And he has given us this ability to be the masterpiece and to create masterpieces. That when we say yes to following Jesus, we become part of his glorious inheritance. And he says, you are my masterpiece. Now go and create great things. Do beautiful things. Be stunning. We are co-creators in Christ. That's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? I love that idea. We're his work of art. And he wants us to co-create with him, to create our own pieces of art, our own poems, to display the glory of God. Wonderful. And then he carries on and says these words in verse 11. If I feel exhausted, there's so much good already going on there. It says this, don't forget that you Gentiles, he's talking to the non-Jews here, you Gentiles used to, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. You were, who are proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. And here's the important bit. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We are united Maybe you didn't used to believe, but now you do. You are united with all your brothers and sisters who also choose to follow Christ. We are united together. Unity, one of the greatest prayers that Jesus ever prayed was in John 17. He prayed, would my, would my followers, my disciples, those that choose to follow me, would they be one as, as I and the Father God are one? The world may know that we are existing and when we're united, the world goes, wow, look what we can see. This is a time for unity as God's church. It's not a time for competition or a time of pointing fingers at other people. It's a time for saying we are united as one church to serve our world, to serve our nations this time, to be this beautiful bride of Christ in all its beauty through our unity and our service to others. And then verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us, peace to us. Christ brings peace. Some of you today in isolation need to know that Christ is bringing peace to you. Prayer and praise is the pathway to peace, I heard someone say. Praise and prayer is the pathway to peace. If we're people of prayer and praise, if we speak into God, if we're listening to God, and we're, we're singing out songs of our worship and praise, then we will find 
peace. God remind us who is in control. We're not in control, but God is, and it gives us peace. So important to hear. And then he unites these Jews and Gentiles into one people. When his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. We're united. This peace of God, which passes all understanding, unites us as one body. God is not interested in special people. He's interested in his people, the world, humanity. He loves his people. He made them and he wants us to live in peace with each other. And it starts by turning our attention to him. Now, just as we wrap this up, we're going to just quickly try and see if we can skim through this last few verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And these are really quite significant. It talks here about us being a temple for the Lord, that we're not, and especially at a time we can't access a physical building, we need to understand that we ourselves are temples and carriers of the Holy Spirit. So verse 19 says these words, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. I mean, that's a great thing to hear right there. That Jesus, the cornerstone, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple to the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Our cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The peace that holds us all together is Jesus Christ himself. Not our buildings or our church buildings or our homes, but we are God's holy people. We're made in his image. We are together his house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. We may not be able to meet at this time in person, but we are one because each one of us is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, as I wrap this all up, a couple of thoughts for you today. We want to flourish in isolation, to learn from Paul who was under house arrest. And from this passage of scripture we found in Ephesians, there are a few things I want to point out. Number one, that God is a God of peace and he invites you to come and sit with him and enter his rest. The God is the God of unity. He wants us to be one with him. I spent some time this week ringing up other church leaders to say, I hope you're doing well. I'm celebrating. I'm rejoicing what I'm seeing God is doing through you. Are you celebrating others? Are you bringing unity where there is any kind of uh, disunity? And then lastly, we are a temple of God. God lives in you. Right now, if you're following Jesus Christ, he lives inside of you. He is all you need in this season to be a beautiful work of art, to be a masterpiece and to use your time and your energy and your skills, your talents, your efforts to create more masterpiece, more beauty that you will create and you'll be a co-creator with God. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you are flourishing right now where you find yourselves. God bless you. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to 
www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.